knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he did, didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp, and my co-host Ashley Glassick is back after a little break. So Ashley, I'm really glad that you're back. I am happy we to be back. You. Yeah, I'm happy to be back, also happy to be done with my master's degree. So. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you are. It mu you must just feel like relieved almost to yeah. just have it all done. Today, usually I write a paper every Saturday, and today I watched a football game. So, pretty exciting. Haven't been able to do that in a while. At least anyone was wondering, I'm a Texas fan. So, I hope we don't have any Oklahoma listeners, but we might. <laughs> I'm, teas yeah. I'm teasing. I, I only know from our admin group, we have Jean, who, like, literally has season tickets for Iowa. Uh-huh. And she... And then Jana, and I really could care less about college. Uh, yeah, right. Um, and then Jana, I think Jana went to Michigan, I want to say. So, um, you know, before we go on, I wanted to explain why there wasn't a podcast last week. So Monday, I, w I was going to record with Rod Rosenblatt. And this, this is a big deal for me because he doesn't go on other podcasts besides his own um, you might know him from the White Horse Inn or the Thinking Fellows podcast, but he said, oh, I'll do it for you, Colleen. So I was so excited. And he'd never done Google Hangouts the way that we usually record. So, and my brother-in-law was, you know, I said to my brother-in-law, are you going to be around if we have any technical difficulties? He said, oh, I should be, whatnot. So we tried to record. We tried several different things. And it just, he just could not get connected to Google Hangouts. And I'm texting my brother-in-law saying, can you call your dad and help him figure this out? And he's like, I'm stuck in a meeting. And so Rod and I said, you know what, let's just do it on Wednesday. We'll figure something out. So I got this new thing. I think Rod had recorded, a, usually he records in a studio, and when he's been interviewed, he records on um, a phone line, you know, if he, like when he's been interviewed on issues, et cetera, or something um, in the past. And so I thought, I'm going to figure out how to record so he can be on the phone. 
So I did it. I tested it. I even, with Abby from one of our admins, I did an hour phone conversation with her, me on, you know, the computer, her on the phone. It worked wonderfully. And uh, that was on Tuesday. On Wednesday, I recorded the most wonderful episode with Rod. It was so good. And it did not record him. And afterwards, when I figured out, I kind of figured out what happened, which I won't get into the details. I won't make that mistake again, the mistake that I made. But I, I almost wanted to cry because I wasn't going to ask him to do it again, at least at that point. And I think for those of you who are looking forward to hearing Rod, I am, I think I'm going to opt to record with him in person. And I, you know, I do see him. He's, he's grandpa to my niece and nephews. I do see him, uh, you know, not like every week. We're in different states, but um, when I'm in California. And I don't know if there'll be time when I'm in California this next week because of the conference, but I promise at some point I will record with Rod. So now everyone knows why there wasn't a <laughs> podcast when I kept promising that there would be one. Yeah. I know you were really sad about that. I'm sorry. So, Ashley, there was an interesting question in the group, and I think it fits along with our complementarianism series. And so, and that has to do with, it's not really a Bible study from what I understand. I'm trying to figure it out, but it's something similar to Bible study fellowship, which I know a lot of people are familiar with. And I guess it's more like a discussion group. And a woman wanted to know if it's okay for a woman to lead a mixed Bible study discussion group. It's not even teaching. It's a Bible study. It's like discussing. Mm -hmm. And so you're not the teacher. You're just kind of the, almost like a moderator, you That's know, just kind of keep an order and stuff. What yeah, do you think? I, I think that question's really interesting because like probably like a year ago, I would have been like, absolutely not. Like, I had really strong opinions about this. I don't know, but in the last year, I'm, I've been thinking more and more about, like, what does it mean for a woman to, a woman to speak authoritatively? And, um, you know, thinking of Sunday worship as a very authoritative role for the pastor and how important that is. And I think my mind is beginning to shift on that, where I'm not seeing, you know, a uh, maybe if it's like a during the week thing, a woman leading a discussion, that's not, that's not authoritative. Um, now I can't answer that with like a hundred percent certainty. I don't think I've thought it through all the way, but I definitely know that I, I've kind of made a shift on that. What about you? You know, I don't have any problem with a woman. I mean, yeah, a woman leading a mixed group discussion. And, you know, there there's different views out there. And I think you and I are even reforming in this. But I think even teaching Sunday school is almost a step above what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's different views regarding teaching Sunday school. I'm personally not there. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling comfortable with a woman teaching Sunday school. But at this, I don't have any problem with. I mean, it's, it's leading... It's leading a discussion on something. And I think about, you know, on Facebook, our discussions. I mean, this isn't, this isn't a teaching. It's a discussion. We have discussion with discussions with men present. And mm -hmm. um, I moderate a group that has both men and women. 
-hmm. where in, in a sense I'm moderating discussions and so you know and it's a theology group so that's kind of where I'm at I, I really am still trying to think through because I kind of came from being too far the other way when I was young I came too far the other way and I agreed with a lot of Center for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, not everything, but I agreed with a lot of it. And, you know, just through study, kind mm -hmm. of still reforming yeah. uh, on some things, you know, where I'm at. I don't think they've ever had a woman teach Sunday school at a church that I've been in. Yeah. And but, if anyone listened to our episode with Amy Bird, um, we talked a lot about how we have a really high view of the pastor's role. Um, and how it's very, you know, authoritative, and we we really respect that role. So what we're talking about here, um, we're in no way undermining that role, you know, because I think some people might think that we are, or that we're sliding into, uh, you know, egalitarianism. egalitarianism. <laughs> we are definitely not doing that. Um, we're just trying to think through it, like, biblically. Like, what does it actually mean to be an authority? And it's a tough question. Yeah, and I and I think for me, where some things are very, very, I don't have a problem with a woman speaking at a conference and things like that, but there are some some areas where for me it's still a little blurry. Yeah, and so I'm just still still studying. Yep. And if you have any thoughts, write to us. Tell us what you think, and we'll yeah. discuss it on a future episode. Um. So I think we'll go to a break. We're going to come back. We've got the anniversary of Martin Luther and the 95 Theses coming up. And so we thought we'd just go over the five soldas. I know this is new for some of our listeners and for some of our listeners. You're like, oh, yeah, I knew those when I was in kindergarten. But we just thought it would be fun to kind of go through. And it's good to be reminded, you know, so much has changed in Protestantism since the time of the Reformation. Yeah. I think that's a good thing to no. So, okay, we'll be right back. This podcast is a member of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. Welcome everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Well, welcome to the School of Biblical Hermeneutics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology. What is going on, guys? Shine as lights coming at you. Well, welcome to Slick answers good evening and welcome to the conversations from the port hello and welcome to living in the vine this is the council of google plus welcome ladies and gentlemen to the bible thumping wingnut podcast the bible thumping wingnut network 12 podcasts one network check them out at biblethumpingwingnut.com so ashley before we get started when i was doing research for this episode have you are you familiar with the Cambridge Declaration no tell me about it okay well it's kind of interesting so I'll be careful what I say here so Cambridge Declaration you know there was like a little description but it was in Cambridge Massachusetts so it was Michael Horton and James Montgomery Boyce and a bunch of people put together this this kind of calling people back to calling people back to the five solas to what protestantism was founded on and something interesting when another statement came out recently which will be nameless from a parachurch organization 
you know, there was a lot of discussion. At the time, you had Michael Horton, you know, the names on there are, are people that we all respect. But it, it did kind of make me think a little bit because of the discussions about parachurch organizations and what their role is. I thought it brought up some interesting points. And D.G. Hart actually even wrote a post about why he didn't sign the Cambridge Declaration. And I had never thought, of, thought about that, but I thought, which is why you and I have talked about we're going to do an episode on parachurch organizations. So I don't mm -hmm. think it's necessarily important whether you wanted to sign it or not, but I think yeah. that it does describe describe things. But one thing it says in the beginning is, today the light of the Reformation has been significantly dimmed. The consequences that the word evangelical has become so inclusive as to have lost its meaning. Hmm. We face the peril of losing the unity has taken centuries to achieve. And it goes on, you know, the church is in crisis and, and so on and so forth. Now, for those who don't know, the five solas are these themes that came out of the Reformation. And I don't know, Ashley, should we give a little Reformation history, just basic Reformation history? Yeah, and I also want to recommend White Horse Inn just did a five-part series on this. They're short. They're like 30, 35 minutes on each sola, and I found that really helpful. I listened to all five while I cleaned my house, and... One interesting thing that they did is they send, I can't remember his name, but he interviews people. Uh, he goes to conferences and interviews people, and he'll ask them, uh, what does justification mean? Uh, when are you saved? Like, he'll just ask kind of like these basic, like essential, you know, doctrinal questions. And it's alarming, the answers he gets at these Christian conferences where people are like, well, you know, we're saved by Christ, but, you know, then you have to do your part, you know, kind of answers. Um, and so then they both kind of critique that and talk about why, you know, the solos are important in understanding right doctrine. So, Reco, that's a good point. Throw that they, used, they used to do that years ago. I know Shane Rosenthal back in the 90s would go to different, he went, I remember one specifically where he went to the Christian book distributors convention huh. and he asked something like a hundred people, what is the gospel? And I think only like one person used Jesus in their description of the gospel. I mean, it was, wow. it was, it was pretty sad, hmm. but it does show, you know, how, how far we've come from the things that were important in the Reformation. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, are you going to give us a little history? I'd love to hear your well, little, little history. Oh, I, I was going to let you, if you want to start, otherwise uh, I I think you no. would be the best person for this. Okay. You're, you're well, more historically minded than I am. I'm trying, but I'm still a noob. Well, you know, I have, I have to say, had my episode with Rod worked, <laughs> we actually talked very specifically about how the Reformation came about and kind of Luther in the Reformation, because, of course, he's a Lutheran and so great on history and Luther. But I would highly recommend, you know, if you're somebody who doesn't even know a lot about Luther, there are some great biographies out there. In fact, um, Rod actually told me of one, which I'll put in our notes. I do not currently remember the name of it. But go and watch the old Luther movie, the black and white one, because it's actually pretty good. That's my favorite of the, there's a newer one too, but I love the old one. 
and it's free on YouTube. But Luther was just really haunted. If we're just going to talk Luther real quick, specifically, Luther was just very haunted by his sin because he understood the gravity of his sin and that all the things the church was telling him to do could not be enough. Hmm. And he was, he, he really had no hope. No sure. And yeah. Yeah. And because he understood how great his sin was and all these things that the Catholic Church at the time was saying, we'll just do this and this and this. He, for him, you know, I, if I confess, I think Rod said that he said something like, but if I confess, I need to confess again in a minute, you know, mm -hmm. sort of thing. And he began to study scripture. And I know the verse that just shall live by faith mm -hmm. was one of the big ones. But first of all, the 95 theses, his thoughts at that point, he was not, he was still reforming um, after that. In fact, I just read a really good article, which I'll put in our notes from my friend Jeff Mallinson. And Jeff, I'd like to have Jeff on sometime too, because he, he did his doctoral work on the Reformation and specifically Beza. Hmm. But he wrote something about, even though the 95 Theses, you know, were a big deal, it was actually what came later that right. really kind of define the Reformation and, and what we're going to be talking about today. There's a lot in the 95 Thesis that we would actually disagree with. Yeah, and right? some of it was just was... about the the horrors of things that were going on in the Catholic Church and selling of indulgences mm -hmm. and, and different things like that. So mm -hmm. I think we kind of see this as maybe like the first step. That's why it's such a big deal in a couple of weeks that we're celebrating the 500th anniversary of that, even though I don't think Luther had really brought all of his thoughts together mm -hmm. at that point. But it sparked and, like a fire. You know, so, yeah. And there's so much. I mean, I'm hoping actually that we'll be, so I won't say a lot more on the history because I'm, I'm hoping to be getting a couple of Reformation scholars on and I don't know if it'll be before or after that anniversary, but I think we can continue to have Reformation scholars on who, you know, can can tell you so much more and maybe even just talk about some of the individual reformers. Yeah. But the first one, and I think, and I think it's important that we start with this, Ashley, is sola scriptura, scripture alone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I read some, I have something here. James Montgomery Boyce, who I've mentioned before, not as many people know. Okay, so James Montgomery Boyce was just one of my favorites, but he died in 2000. And I liked what I liked what he said, just a short little blurb about Sola Scriptura. When the reformers used the word Sola Scriptura, they were expressing their concern for the Bible's authority. And what they meant is that the Bible alone is our ultimate authority, not the Pope, not the church, not the traditions of the church, or church councils, still less personal limitations or subjective feelings. So our our subjective feelings aren't supposed to rule us either. But scripture only. Other sources of authority may have an important role to play. Some are even established by God, such as the authority of church elders, the authority of the state, or the authority of parents over children. But scripture alone is truly ultimate. Therefore, if any of these other authorities depart from Bible teaching, they are to be judged by the Bible and rejected. Hmm. So that's important. And what the thing I'm reading here says that it says that it's sufficient on all spiritual matters. Um, 
And one thing that I think is interesting too is they make the point that like scripture doesn't speak to everything. Like it doesn't claim to speak to everything. You know, like I can't look in scripture to figure out what do I do if I have a headache? You know, like it's not that specific, but everything necessary that we need um, is there in scripture. So what, how is this different than the Catholic Church? I mean, do the Catholics believe in Scripture alone, Ashley? No, they don't. And they also don't think that the common person, like they, they think that I, have, I as a minister, let's say, have to interpret it for you so that you can understand, which leads to a bunch of wonky things when a layperson can't interpret Scripture. Only, you know, a, a clerical person can interpret scripture for, you know, his congregants. And they also, I mean, we, we've talked about sacraments. It's like in scripture, there's only two sacraments. And yet in the Catholic Church, there's seven. And, and so there's a lot of things that get tacked on that are not in scripture in the Catholic Church. Well, yeah, tradition is one. The Pope is another so they they can point to tradition also just like in the thing that i read not popes not traditions not subjective feelings i think i think that's actually an important one too because how often do we see and i would say you know this is something women also men would struggle with is letting our our subjective feelings there was a mm-hmm. a gal who told me about somebody in her life and he said something that was, it was outright heretical. And I said, but that's not consistent with scripture. And she said, I know, but he says God told him. Right. Um, so he just knows it's true. Yeah. God's not going to tell you things contrary to scripture. And yeah. God doesn't think outside of scripture. And that's relying on your own personal experience rather than relying on what scripture says. I, I think there's a quote that's like, if, if God speaks to you and it doesn't line up with scripture, it's wrong. And if it does line up with scripture, it's useless. Like there's really no point. Like we have everything we need in scripture. It's sufficient for what we need. And we talked about this some on our personal revelations and will of God episode. And one thing that Michael Horton says, Sorry, but these guys have just said so much more than I can. But I thought this was interesting. He said, many critics of the Reformation have attempted to portray it as the invitation to individualism as people discover themselves from the Bible, what they will and will not believe. And he says, in quotes, never mind the church, away with creeds and the church's teaching office. We have the Bible and that's enough. And that's actually not what we're saying. Because I think some people have gone too far in that direction, especially you see it in American evangelicalism. Well, instead of sola scriptura, they're going to solo scriptura, like me and my Bible. I just read it and we're just by ourselves. And that's how I come up with, you know, what I believe. And that's not what sola scriptura is um, because we are reading our Bibles with, you know, we're reading it within history and we're reading it within the context of a local church and are with our pastors, uh, even when we're reading by ourselves, you know, so we don't all just get to be our own personal interpreters 
for everything we read. Because that, that leads to a lot of dangerous stuff. And we still believe that the church is important. Mm -hmm. um, another thing we should point out with Sola Scriptura is sometimes us Reformed are accused of not be believing in Sola Scriptura because we have confessions. And I've... Yeah. I've you, like, you put the confessions over Scripture. Right. Like, I've... Someone's asked a question before, and I, you know, copy-paste a quote from the confession, and someone will just, like, scoff at that. Like, that's not... That's not Scripture. It's like, well, this is something I believe to be a good summary of what Scripture says. And... Our, our confessions, the Westminster Confession, the Heidelberg, make it clear that we believe that Scripture is sufficient and that it's inerrant. So our confessions point us back to Scripture. Our confessions, they're a summary, but they, they tell us Scripture is the only thing that's sufficient. Yeah, and, and I would even point people to our episode on the Catechism and Confessions where we, we talk about that. If you've only ever heard of catechism and confession from your Catholic friends and you hear about these Protestants who believe in catechism and confession, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what we believe Yeah, about the catechism and confession. The next one I'm going to go to, and that is Christ alone. And this is from the Cambridge Declaration, just because I think it's it describes it well, that our salvation is accomplished by the mediatorial work of the historical Christ alone. His sinless life and substitutionary atonement alone are sufficient for our justification and reconciliation to the Father. We deny that the gospel is preached if Christ's substitutionary work is not declared and faith in Christ and his work is not solicited. Right. And so, and on the thing from James Montgomery Boyce, which I'll, which I will link, he, he's talking about the medieval church, you know, before, at the time of the Reformation. And he said, the medieval church had added many human achievements to Christ's work, so that it was no longer possible to say that salvation was entirely by Christ and his atonement. This hmm. was the most basic of all heresies. As reformers rightly perceived, it was the work of God plus our own righteousness. The Reformation motto, Solus Christus, Christ alone, was formed to repudiate this error. It affirmed that salvation has been accomplished once for all the mediatorial work of the historical Jesus Christ alone. Hmm. So I, I, another thing from Rod, and he's told me this several times, that the movie Luther that I was talking about, there's, there's a section there. And, and Luther is saying you know we don't need we don't need indulgences we don't need idols we don't need all of this stuff in the church i think i've found the truth at last and when i found it it was as though the gates of heaven were open to me romans 117 by faith man lives and is made righteous not by what he does for himself be it adoration of relics singing of masses pilgrimages to rome purchase of pardon for his sins but by faith in what God has done for him already through his son. Dr. Martin, if you leave the Christian to live only by faith, what will you put in their place? Christ. Man only needs Jesus Christ.
Wow. Yeah, I think, well, I really feel like this ties into Sola Fide and Sola Gratia, but uh, like you mentioned earlier, when you go to those conferences or you just talk to any Christian on the street, um, if you were to ask them the question, like, how are you saved? It's interesting how many people will give you that response and not mention Jesus Christ. Um, I was speaking with a oneness Pentecostal the other day, um, and they, they don't, you know, they believe a lot of different things. And I asked him, so like, how are you saved? And he talked kind of a lot about doing the right thing and this and that, but there was no mention of Jesus Christ. And what this doctrine kind of makes clear is it is only in Christ uh, that we are saved. We can't add or take away anything from that. Um, I really like Heidelberg question 29. It says, why is the son of God called Jesus? That is a savior. And the answer is because he saveth us and delivereth us from our sins. And likewise, because we ought not to seek, neither can find salvation in any other. And the Heidelberg just says it so well. So it's not, it's not Christ plus a little of this, a little over there. What if I think, Ashley, it's like, it's mostly Christ, but, you know, just these other things just help push me over the edge a little. Um, then I'd say you're slipping into almost like a Catholic understanding of salvation. Faith plus works equals salvation, which is not what the Reformation, well, the Reformation was about reclaiming uh, the soul is reclaiming that we are only saved through Christ. Um, so uh, we'll get into that, I think, with sola yeah. fide a little so it's bit. Not, it's not what Christ does and what I do. Right. It's, what, it's, it's Christ alone. And even if you have 99.9% .9 Christ and 0.1% me, that is no longer Christ alone. That is, that is Christ but me, plus me. I think if anyone thinks that it is 99% Christ and 1% me, they have a really high view of their ability to do, to merit their salvation. Because I think they would do good to read John Owen's Mortification of Sin to greater understand their depravity if they think they can merit any part of their salvation. And I would say also go through the Westminster Catechism or Confession or the Heidelberg Catechism with the proof text. And the, the reason why we love the Confessions and Catechisms is because they're based on Scripture. And, and there, too, you can see our, our depravity, our hopelessness apart from Christ. So number three of the five solas, so we've done Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, sola gratia, grace alone. And I'm going to read from Boyce again because he just has this great little summary of them. The words sola gratia mean that human beings have no claim upon God. That is, God owes us nothing except just punishment for our many and very willful sins. Therefore, he does save sinners, which he does in the case of some but not all. It is only because it pleases him to do so. Indeed, apart from his grace and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit that flows from it, no one would be saved. Since in our last condition, human beings are not capable of winning, seeking out, or even cooperating with 
God's grace. So mm -hmm. grace alone, this his saving of us is not contingent upon anything that we do. Mm -hmm. It is it is by his grace alone. And one of the reasons historically why this was important is because the Catholic Church Church was teaching that it's a combination, like kind of like what you were just saying, it's a combination of God's grace and like the merits we accumulate. And part of the part of the way historically people were accumulating those merits was doing um, penance and even playing paying indulgences, buying you know buying out their sins, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, and so the reformers responded with, no, you can't, you can't do enough good things. You can't pay the church enough um, to earn grace. It's only God's grace. Right. So they thought that doing those things won them a sort of favor with God. Right. Instead of by grace alone. And so do, you know, does that, when we obey, does that make God love us more or give us a better chance with God? No. Better chance of being saved? I mean, it, it pleases God when we do good works, but even our good works are only acceptable if we have a mediator in Christ. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of foolish to think that, like, I can just keep doing good, keep doing good, and I'll eventually earn enough favor that I'll earn my way into heaven with a little help from God's grace, too. That um, just doesn't make sense. Well, and I, I would say especially because of our views of election and regeneration, that we, we don't go and seek God on our own. Like it said there, it, the reason that we seek God is because of his grace, because of what he is working in us. Otherwise, we would not seek the true, even seek the true God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Chooses us. Yep. He, you know, we're chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us to adoption from Ephesians 1. That right there is, is because of his grace. And it's not because he looked through time and said, you know, that that Colleen, she's she's going to really do some good work. So I'm going to, I think I'll go ahead and choose her as, as one for salvation. It's not because of anything that we do that God demonstrates his grace to us. Mm -hmm. It's because of his grace alone. That's why alone or sola is with is with all of these. And they, they all fit together, don't they? Ashley? Yeah. It seems like um they kinda overlap. Like they I mean they all kinda build off sola scriptura. Like if you're not if you're not building off scripture, you know, it's hard to make sense of anything. But yeah, they all just kinda fit like puzzle pieces. It's kinda like the five points of Calvinism. <laughs> They just yeah. kind of fit, fit together. Because all of these things which we know, we know from Scripture. Mm -hmm. And just think about Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. And so we see both sola, sola gratia and then the next one, sola fide, in that passage. Mm -hmm. And sola fide, which is also faith alone. Okay, so it's so it's not faith plus works. 
Mm -hmm. right? Says reformers never tired of saying that justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Yep. So it's not faith plus some indulgences. It's not some faith plus some prayer prayers, your your loved ones praying for time out of purgatory for you. It's not it's not other offerings. It's not obeying a little more. It is it is faith. We are saved by grace through, through faith. faith. And that's not to say uh, we don't do good works, that good works aren't a outflowing of, you know, our salvation. Like we will do good works, part of us being sanctified. Um, But the good works in themselves don't do anything salvific. Um, I think John Fonville said it really well where he said, works are evidential of our faith, not instrumental in it. Yes. There we go. So um, we can look at our lives, and I know I can look at mine since I've been saved like six years ago, and you do see like works, you know, good works coming out where, you know, just before I was saved, I was not able to do those things, but they're not in any way leading towards my salvation. Um, They're just evidencing the fact that I am saved. Right. And it's because, I mean, sanctification, Westminster Catechism, sanctification is a work of God's free grace. It is, we're being sanctified not because we're trying harder, but rather because of our union with Christ, because of his work inside of us. That's why we are being sanctified. Mm -hmm. And it's not, I'll give you some work so you can, you know, add them to your faith. Mm-hmm. either I, you know i won't won't get into this too deeply but there there's been some debates about this this very thing out there that have been going on because of some views of some theologians and um, having to do with works necessary for attaining heaven and what do our works merit anything and this sort of thing and that's why it's important to go back to sola fide faith alone Again, if you said it's 99.9% my, the faith that I have in Christ and point one, the works that I do, it is no longer faith alone. It is no longer Christ's work alone. It is mm-hmm. no longer by God's grace alone because, that gra- because now you're doing something to merit favor. It is 100% of, of Christ alone and grace alone and faith alone. And I think we're kind of talking about this in the context of the medieval Catholic church, uh, because that's what Luther was protesting. And that's what the reformation kind of came out of was, uh, issues with the Catholic church. But if we look at American Protestantism and evangelical, evangelical churches, I mean, like they do not hold to these solas. A lot of them do not hold to these solas. And it's alarming, you know, when you talk to people and you almost think these things are taken for granted, you know, like everyone believes just, you know, justification by faith alone. And you talk to people and, you know, it's like, how are you saved? And it's like, well, you know, I do some, God does some, like that's 
it's a very common view in like the modern evangelical world. And it's, it's alarming because that's a lot closer to Catholicism than it is to Protestantism. Um, so Protestants or quote unquote Protestants are going back to Rome. Mm -hmm. On some well, of these things. The without the, without the high church, like, you know, uh, the Pope and all that thing, but their, their, um, their theology is sliding in that direction when they're losing faith alone, they're losing grace alone, um, scripture alone. I mean, a lot of these things just aren't evident in, in some big churches. Yeah. Even on scripture alone, I, I think about the charismatic movement and these, you know, so-called new prophecies coming out where if if we needed new prophecies then that would mean that god's word is not sufficient mm -hmm. yep and i think really the last one brings them all together and that is soli deo gloria glory to god alone and each of these each of the great solas is summed up in the fifth reformation motto soli deo gloria meaning to God alone be the glory. And he, he quotes here actually from Romans eleven sixteen, the apostle Paul, to him be the glory forever. Amen. And because it is his, because it is Christ alone, because it is by grace alone, because it is through faith alone, it is to God alone be the glory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If the other, if the other solas weren't there, then the last one wouldn't really make sense. Like like what you were saying, if it wasn't grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, it wouldn't make sense to then go, so obviously glory to God alone. Um, but because they're there, and because we know this is all Christ's work, um, Christ is the one who uh, lived the perfect life, you know, he's the one that merited our, <clears throat> merited our salvation, then it's to him be the glory yeah and if if it were a little tiny bit of my works and a little bit of time a little bit a tiny bit of my works instead of faith alone or if it were a little bit tiny bit me instead of Christ alone then soli deo gloria is no longer true because you know I I did pretty good I should I should get a little credit here right mm-hmm Yep. And it wouldn't be a hundred percent. Yeah. Glory to God alone. Uh, something funny before I knew about the five solas, uh, I knew Soli Deo Gloria. That's the really popular one. Um, it was really common. Like when I was like a young Calvinist, I don't have any tattoos, but it was really common for people to get that as a tattoo. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that, Colleen, like 20-somethings that have. have that have the Soli Deo Gloria tattoo or whatever. Uh, that one's really popular. So I always thought it was a, a little bit ironic to get that tattooed on your body, but uh, teach their own. Um, I, think, <laughs> I, I think the solas are cool. That way. Yeah. Anyway, uh, lost some listeners, Ashley. Just yeah, kidding. maybe we should cut that out. Um, no, no, I've not, I actually have nothing against tattoos. Um, I just always laugh at that one a little bit because I, I went through about a year period where I was like, I'm going to get that tattoo, and then I decided against it. Uh, actually, I have some friends that do some really cool Five Solas artwork on Etsy. Man, if I had their Etsy shops open right now, I could totally promote them 
what, um, one of our friends. We should put them in the resources. Yes, I will. They sell some okay. super cool Five Solas artwork that I definitely recommend. Um, so, you know, I think it's it's good to remember too is when it comes to our good works, we can. It is still to God alone be the glory. Understanding sanctification that sanctification is a work of God's free grace, something that He is working in us, causes us to look at Christ to look at the Lord and say, to God alone be the glory. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to link a few things in the notes this week. I know this is very basic. I wanted to do just, for those that are kind of new to Reformation history, or maybe just kind of a a reminder for those of you, you know, who, who know the five soul as well, because we're hoping to be doing, you know, some interviews coming up with some different people on the Reformation. So just kind of going back to basics to start about what the Reformation was about, I thought would be helpful, especially because we have so many listeners that are kind of new to Reformed theology, new to learning about the Reformation. But I'm going to put a bunch of things to read, and I'm going to put the White Horse in series because that's going to be a lot more thorough and love the white horse in. I actually yeah. learned about the five solas from them from well no the first time was from Michael Horton's book putting amazing back into grace hmm. and then they ended up talking about there I was a new Calvinist and I mean I just believed in the five points at that point and got Michael Horton's book mm-hmm. and has kind of in the beginning a little reformation history about the five solas I I didn't know about the five solas, although I'm sure I heard it about, about it a little bit when I was a Calvinist. And then when I finally heard about it after I became a Presbyterian, people talk about the five solas, five solas. Um, I kind of just thought of it as like some catchy sayings. Like, oh yeah, it's kind of catchy, like faith alone, grace alone. Like it sounds really cool. But in the last year, I've really realized how important it is to stand your ground on those solas and how um how dangerous it is to depart from them too um and i i think that's happening you know it's happening all around us people are departing from it so um just just experientially i just uh i guess finding finding it more and more important to look back on this the five solo scripture alone you know all of it so um i don't know if you had that experience colleen yeah well i think i think it's it's important to be reminded because even in our own circles we see some attacks on these you know we have things like federal vision which Mm -hmm. which really strays from the heart of the reformation the heart of the gospel and we have to protect mm-hmm. ourselves even in our own circles, even in yep. professional circles. There are some theologies which stray from, from these five solas. So I'm going to put a bunch of resources, and I will link that Luther movie. And then also there was, I wanted to mention too, there was a documentary about Luther on PBS, and it was actually pretty good. So I'm going to link that. And I know PBS also had a documentary on the Reformation that Michael Horton was in. I haven't seen that one free online yet, but I'll see if it does come up free online. The Luther one is free to watch online. 
And if the other one, I'll look and see if that one is, because it's kind of interesting, you know, to watch some of these things coming out right now. And I don't know how the Reformation was one is because I haven't looked at it, but I just know Michael Horton's in it. Oh, Carl Truman is in the Luther one, though. Oh, really? I did watch the Luther one. Yeah. So I have to mention that. And I know he has a book coming out like any day now, I think, with a Lutheran, actually, on Lutheran and Reformed theologies. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Somebody actually sent me, I think it was a table of contents a little while ago, hmm. like ahead of time. So it, it looks really, really good. Yeah. And I promise I will try to have Rod again <laughs> Well, we're going to go to a quick commercial. We're going to come back with our, yeah, about that <laughs> segment. Looking for that perfect track for your next evangelism outreach? Look no further. At TrackedPlanet.com, we have solid biblical tracks that are a breeze to hand out. They are beautifully designed and are the highest quality tracks available. With over 80 different designs in stock and literally hundreds more available by custom order, we're sure to have just the right one for you. You can get any of our items printed with your church or ministry information or have us design a brand new tract just for you. We are committed to the solid biblical message of law to the proud and grace to the humble. Each tract is firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance and faith in salvation. Come check us out at TrackedPlanet.com and make sure you use coupon code BTWN at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's TRACTPlanet.com, coupon code BTWN. Okay, Ashley, I'm, I think you had some good ideas, so I'm going to let you. Okay, so I saw this quote. And I read it, and I was like, huh. And then I reread it, and I was like, wait a second. There's something wrong there. So it says, God isn't disinterested in our conduct, but he is more concerned with our motivation. He has always been about hearts, not mere obedience. So what do you think of that? First first impression, what do you think? This is, it's, it's so bad. <laughs> I mean, this, I don't know what verse that comes from. <laughs> Yeah. Kind of well, okay. So here, here were my thoughts. One is, you know, not too long ago, I probably would have read that and been like, yeah, it's, it's our intentions. That's what God cares about. It's our, that's kind of what he's saying. Um, it's our intentions that matter. And um, that's, that's not the case. God does care if we're obedient. O obedience does matter because I think I mean, God does care about our hearts, um, and he sees our hearts, but we're not an accurate gauge for what a good intention is as, you know, like fallen uh, people, you know, will try to do the right thing, and oh, my heart was good in it, and you know, it's just hard to really gauge, you know, how, how good, how pure were my motives in that thing, um, and I think what, when, I, when I initially saw this, I thought like, I can't even remember what I said. It was something about like adultery, like, like God doesn't care if like I am adulterous, but you know, my intentions are, I don't know. Like, I just feel like this leaves the door open for like disobedience, you know? Well, don't you think? Yeah, actually here's, yeah, I was actually thinking somebody wrote to me, one of our listeners and said, should I still do the right thing even though 
my motives aren't right, even though I don't feel like it. Well, if a woman doesn't feel like being faithful to her husband, but she chooses to be faithful anyways, she's being obedient, even if, even if her, I don't know if motives is the right thing, even if her heart, so to speak, is not in the right place. Like she doesn't feel like being obedient, but she knows it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, and you can go with, I don't feel like telling the truth right now, but I know that telling the truth is the right thing to do. Right. So even though my motives are not exactly pure, I'm still going to choose to do the right thing. Yeah. Or I, I run into this with gossip where I'm like, man, I, I really want to gossip right now, but I'm actually going to choose, you know, not to, or I'm actually going to choose to stand up and say, Hey, we shouldn't be talking about this thing. The person's not here. Um, it, it really could apply to anything. I think, I think it's not uncommon that we're being obedient, you know, and our hearts are not wanting to be obedient, but we're being obedient anyway. Um, there's been times I don't feel like going to church on Sunday morning. Um, my heart's definitely not in the right place, um, but I go. So it's you know? still obedience. Yeah, it's, it's still, still obedience to go even when you don't feel like it. Yeah, it's still obedience. I'm still, I'm still going. I'm still hearing my pastor preach, and a lot of times I'm blessed buy it you know when you go and you don't you're you're distracted you're thinking about other things you maybe don't really want to be there um and then you're really blessed by the means of grace anyway um that's why it's you know obedience because you're you know god promises to bless us and stuff so i don't know i just yeah, I, I agree yeah i i think I think the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because it sounds like it's right and it's it's very close, you know, where there is some truth that God does care about our hearts, um, our hearts intentions, but it's not all he cares about. He does care about us being obedient. Um, and so I think we just need to be careful when we see things like that because they're like almost truths, you know. And you should even be obedient even when your motives aren't right. Yeah. You should still, you still need to be. That's not legalism. Obedient. That's not legalism. Because right. <laughs> um, I, could, I could see someone thinking that's legalistic. No, that's not legalism. And I would say too to our listeners, if you come across any, any bad theology, great for our Yeah About That series, email it mm -hmm. to us at theologygals at gmail.com. Yeah. Especially the ones, especially the ones that are like that, where they're, you're like, oh, that almost sounds right, but it's off, you know? Um, those are my favorite. Because there's some where it's just like, it's obvious, like, it's obviously not, not, uh, not right. Um, I think it's harder to perceive the almost truths than the blatantly wrong ones, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I think there's so there's a lot of these kind of different sayings out in evangelicalism that people say. You see them on social media a lot. And maybe you realize that this thing that everybody says is maybe not the best thing. Mm -hmm. You know, that was on White Horse End, too, where he was interviewing people. And he, he says, um, is the saying, um, God helps those who help themselves, in the Bible and all these people are like yeah yeah that's in the Bible and some people are like no I think that's just a saying but like a lot of people thought that that was actually in the Bible you know 
it sounds right. You know, it sounds, oh yeah, sounds kind of scripture-y, but you know, it's not, not right. So. And there's a lot of them out there too, because people will actually post them in the Theology Gals group and say, what do you guys think about this saying? Mm -hmm. You know, people go, oh yeah, no, that's not biblical. Mm -hmm. So just to remind everyone, we are on the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network, a lot of other great podcasts. So definitely check out the other podcasts on the network and you can find us at BibleThumpingWingnut.com and click on Theology Gals somewhere. You'll find all of our podcasts and blogs. And we're going to do another question and answer episode at some point. But we may, if we get start getting some more regular voicemails, maybe, you know, read one yeah. every, I mean, play one every week or two. Yeah. And so please leave us a voicemail at 951-407-0234, a question or even a comment. And then also, if you want to support us, you can go to Patreon and look up Theology Gals, or you can find links to all of this, including our email, theologygals at gmail.com on the website on any of our episodes you'll see all the information there and we thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week <laughs>